you saw us needy, wandering, lost, going our own way. And you chose to reveal yourself to us. You saved us. You let us know about your rescue plan. You called us when we were without hope. You have taken our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh God, we could go on and on, recount the blessings that we have because you have made yourself known to us, Lord. It's only of your grace, for you even give us the faith to believe. Father, we can't fully understand your amazing grace. But thank you that you give us that measure of understanding so that we can know you and grow. Father, we thank you for being able to come together. How grateful we are for this body of believers. Lord, thank you for all of us that are here today that you have given gifts to your church, that we come together and worship you in one voice. How, how grateful we are, Father. How awesome it is to be able to lift up your name together, our holy God. Lord, we thank you for those you've brought to fellowship to help equip us to serve you for the works of service. Lord, you say, first of all, but most important, you say that the gift of teaching is the base of everything. For God, if we don't know your truth, we will drift to error. If we depend on our feelings, we will give way to fickle fickleness. Lord, if we depend on our circumstances, then we will just grow and drift, grow away from you and drift with whatever's going on in status quo. So Father, how grateful we are for Tim, for Jason, for AJ, for how you've given them the desire and the passion to serve you here at Fellowship for our good so that we could be equipped to serve you together. Father, we, we don't want to take your grace for granted, to become lazy. Father, how we want you to spur us on with gratefulness and cause us to respond intentionally seeking you in your, in, to be in your word all the more that we would press on to take hold of all that you have taken hold of us for. Father, we, we just think of our body again and those who are not with us today, but who are home, not of their own choosing, but because of health issues. Father, I lift up to you, Roger, Daphne, Jim and Florence, Walter, Helen, Horace, and Richard Steele. Lord, these friends face ongoing health issues. Of course, you are so aware of it, but we want to think of them and lift them up to you today, that you would be the lifter of their head, that you would give them strength for each day, help them to keep their minds stayed upon you. May they see your healing power at work. We especially pray for your healing for Malia. Please, God supernaturally strengthen her as she goes through these very harsh chemo treatments. Father, please take away any fear the enemy wants to give her. And may she be very much aware of your comforting presence. Lord, we pray your comfort also for the family of Mike Townsend as they grieve their great loss. Father, we lift up Margaret Matson to you also as she perseveres. We thank you for her life. And thank you for the provision you have given her for care at Quinton. Father, we pray that you would strengthen all of these in their inner man. 
as they look for your hand to be at work. And God, we, we do not make these requests because of anything we are, that we, we are not worthy or righteous, Lord. But Father, we thank you we can make these requests because of your great mercy. So Father, just now, give us ears to hear your word as A.J. equips us to better be prepared for, for uh, resisting the drift that, that this world does cause us to have at times in our flesh. Lord, give us ears to hear the treasures in your words. For Lord, it's in you our hearts rejoice. For we trust in your holy name. We don't trust in the flesh, Father. If it's up to our flesh, we would not be equipped. We trust your uh, holy power, your Holy Spirit's power within us to equip us. May you, your unfailing love, Father, continue to rest upon us as we place our hope firmly in you. This we ask in your holy name, Father. Amen. All right, well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, kids, y'all can be dismissed to y'all's time of worship. Uh, y'all go meet your leaders in the back. Um, I'm excited that you guys came to worship with us this morning. Um, it's been a great morning of worship so far, and so I've just got a few announcements of just things that we've got going on um, inside the life of the church. And so just a few things, but we have our women's prayer meetings on Thursdays. Um, and so they wanted us to give y'all a reminder about the prayer boxes that are inside of the back. And so we have a wonderful group of ladies that come and pray, um, and they would love to pray for you. And so if there's anything that you would want for them to be praying for inside of your life, if you just want to slip it into the announcement box there in the back. Um, we have Everyman a Warrior signups uh, that are open on the church app and on the church website. Um, those are starting this week. So January 9th and 10th are the start dates. Um, on Tuesday evenings, they're meeting from 7.30 to 8.30, and on Wednesday mornings from 6 to 7.30. And so it's been wonderful to see the way that the Lord has been moving in women and in the men of our church through quad groups, through, every man, or through Better Man um, this past fall. And so we're wanting to just continue that again. Um, and so there is no, if you're like me, um, I'm not always the best at registering. Um, and so if you're like me, you're one of the guys that's like me. Don't feel like you have to be registered for that. We just want you to come. We want you to be there. So either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, we're starting that up. There will be books there for you, and we'll give you everything that you need to get started. Um, women's quad groups, sign-ups for the spring of 2024 are live. Groups will meet once a month um, during February through May, and you can sign up uh, through the church app or the table that's in the back, and the deadline for that is January the 20th. Um, men's Ministry Breakfast is on uh, Saturday, January the 20th. Um, and if you have not been to one of those yet, guys, you need to absolutely come to one of those. We have some great food. We always have a great testimony of what God is doing in the lives of men inside of our church. Um, and so the doors open at 630. Breakfast is served at 745. Um, and so then also we have our lifted uh, students, our Snowbird sign up. Um, so Snowbird is a winter conference that we love taking our students to that we are going to in February this year instead of January. And so if you have not signed up for that, um, it is online um, or you can talk to me. I'd love to talk to you and, and have as many as we can go. And we also start youth this Sunday also. So tonight from 530 to 730, we will have youth back in the youth room. And I'm excited for it because um, it's been a long break. I haven't seen our guys in about two weeks. And so I'm excited to have all them together. And I'm excited for us to be together this morning as we open up God's Word. And so if y'all would open up to Hebrews chapter 2 with me, if you have your Bibles. 
I've absolutely enjoyed uh, just going through this series in Hebrews and just hearing Tim um, as we've gone through these first two chapters, as we have looked at Jesus is greater. Um, I saw another commentary that called Hebrews uh, the anchor for the soul. And it's been that for me as we've just walked through this of just seeing the majesty and the greatness of Jesus. Um, and what we're looking at today is how Jesus well, I won't give it away in that, but that we're going to be looking at the foundation of our faith or the founder of our faith. And so I always like to do a little bit more interactive style of teaching. And so I want y'all to interact with me, okay? All right. So the thing that I'm going to need y'all to do is everybody raise up your left hand. Great. All right. So I'm going to ask a series of questions, okay? And so what I need y'all to do is take a guess um, on these different founders, okay? So I have some different um, things that were um, invented by different people, and I want us to see if we can guess what the age range of this person may be. Okay, so the first one is going to come up on the screen. Braille. Okay, something that we've all seen before. Um, maybe some people inside of our lives have been impacted by um, the beauty of this. Um, do you think that the founder of Braille was above 30 or below 30? So raise your hand for above 30. Okay. All right. Below 30. Raise your hand. Okay. You're right. Exactly right. So it was, Braille was invented by Lewis Braille at the age of 15 in the year of 1824. Braille is a system um, of elevated dots that allow millions of vision-impaired people to read and to write. It was invented by Lewis Braille in the early 19th century. Um, the French youngster created the system at the age of 15 while attending the National Institute for Blind Youth in Paris. The system was invented um, was derived from a code for sending military messages. So, this is kind of crazy, isn't it? All right, let's go to the next one. All right, the snowmobile. Okay, here we go. Very intricate, amazing machine. All right, here we go. Do you think that this founder was above the age of 20 or below it? So, above. Okay, 20 years old. Below. All right. This one's also below. So the snowmobile was invented by Joseph Armand Bombader at the age of 15 in 1922. Joseph Armand Bombader was, was mechanically inclined and liked to rebuild clocks and trains. When his father brought him a damaged Ford Model T engine, Bombader fixed it, mounted it on skis, and put an airplane propeller in the back. The new vehicle was used to traverse the impassable roads during the winter um, in the Bombader's Quebec village. Bombader um, would become a famous and uh, most famous in Canada for his innovations that would lead to the creation of the transportation company of his last name, Bombader. All right, so let's go to the next one. That's wild, isn't it? Okay, the television, the electric television. Okay, so once again, do you think that the founder of this was above 20 or below 20? Above 20, raise your hand. Okay, below 20. All right, this one's a little bit of a stretch, also below 20. With Philo Farnsworth at age 15 in 1921, Philo Farnsworth built, uh, born in a log cabin built by his grandfather in Utah, no wonder he was very innovative, um, converted his family's appliances to electric power when he was in hi a high school student. During his high school years, he designed the idea for a vacuum tube during chemistry class um, that would be crucial to the development that would later, or that would become the television. He unveiled um, an all-electric television prototype in 1927 that featured, video, that featured a video camera tube. Farnsworth worked on other technologies later on in life, including the radar and nuclear fission. 
So he was just getting started, okay? All right, so let's go to this next one. Oh, that is the TV that he created. So it's a little bit different than the one I showed y'all. Okay, so the hot seat. So this is actually a technology that was used um, for babies. So I'm just going to explain what it is. So it's uh, a device that alerts people if a small child is left in a car alone. Alarm goes off on a fob or a smartphone or the car itself if the responsible adult walks away uh, more than 30 feet away from the child. Okay, so it's a device that is put inside of the, the child's seat. All right, so what do we think? Below 20 or above 20? Above 20. <laughs> Below 20. Y'all, some of y'all are catching on. All right, so this is another 14-year-old in 2010 by Alyssa Chavez, a teenager that was in New Mexico. Um, her mom, she created this. She was inspired for it to create the device because her mother operates um, a home daycare facility and was concerned about children dying in overheated cars. Is that not amazing? Like, absolutely amazing. Um, whenever I think of hot seats, I always think of something else. I'm always thinking about the college football coaches at Auburn or at Tennessee who are always completely on the hot seat, uh, scared to lose their jobs. And uh, I'd heard, um, and I can make this joke that he's not, because he's not here, that I heard that Ohio State's uh, coaches' office all have the hot seat in there right now. And so um, if you don't get that joke, just ask him about it whenever you see him this week. But all this is fun. It's crazy to see all these different inventions that were founded by, by young people, by ones that we would have never thought of, that we take for granted every single day. If you think about, um, about Braille or you think about a snowmobile, like those things we see, we'd be like, how in the world could that come from somebody that is so young? But when we look back at the story of it, it's amazing that we could see that somebody so young could do something that is so great and that we could be always amazed by and so last week we looked at a great salvation. As you looked at the beginning of chapter two, um, what Tim was talking about was how could we neglect such a great salvation that, that God has brought about, that we need to pay closer attention to this lest we fall away. The writer of Hebrews shows us how this salvation is greater than anything inside of the world, but we are tempted to fall away from it. We are prone to take it for granted. And so just like these inventions that we talked about this morning, sometimes going back to see the story of how something was founded and who founded it or brought it to us can make all the difference inside of our lives. And so we're going to get ready to look inside of Hebrews 2, but before we do that, let's pray again. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you um, just for this time that we have together to open your word. Um, God, I thank you, um, God, for the truths that we're getting ready to see. And so, God, I just pray that you would just be with me, that, God, that you would be able to use me. Um, God, help me to just communicate how great you are. Um, God, that's all I want to do this morning because that's all that this passage is about. And so, Lord, help, us to do, help me to do that. God, give us ears to hear of how much you have done for us and the glory. God, give us eyes to see your glory in every single way. And so, Lord, we just pray that you receive the glory for everything that happens this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's look at it. So Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5, um, and we get a little bit of a funny start to this. So he's talking about this great uh, salvation that we do not need to neglect, um, that we see that in verse 4, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And then you get to verse 5, and it seems like this awkward transition because it says, for it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Okay, and this seems like a little bit of a weird transition because we go from a great salvation to this future world that is to come, and the angels are not the ones that God subjected it to. But as we look at this, I want us to just 
use this as a question for us as we look at this chapter, because what we're doing inside of this part of Scripture is that we're going to be looking at God's plan for salvation and how Christ is ultimately the founder of that. And we're going to do it in two ways, okay? What we're going to look at first is God's plan in creation. So we're going to look at God's plan for creation in these following verses, and then we're going to see that God ultimately had a greater plan even in the midst of that. So we'll look at the plan of creation, and then we'll see the ultimate plan revealed through Christ, okay? But as we begin in this part, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, what I want you to just think about is who is it then? Okay? Think about who is it then that he has subjected the world to come? Okay? Because he's wanting to encourage a church, um, the, he, the church that he's writing to here in Hebrews that is inside of Rome, that is small, that is feeling insignificant, that is facing a lot of different persecution. And so he is wanting to encourage them the best way that he possibly can, the writer of Hebrews. Okay? Now, verse 6 is fun. Okay, because he goes right into this. For it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. And then he's going to go into this passage of Scripture. And this is where it's kind of cool, because we know that all um, Scripture is inspired by God, right? But it was written by humans. True? That God used them as he carried them along to write down the words that we needed to hear. Okay, and that shows itself in verse 6, because he has an encouraging word that he wants to give them, but he cannot remember the reference. Okay, have you guys ever been there? Of where whenever you know that somebody's going through something, you want to tell them and you come up with this verse and then you say, well, it's somewhere in the Bible, right? We've all been there with that. And in the writer of Hebrews, we see that is exactly with him. And it's a cool, I just think that that's awesome. That even sometimes if we don't remember the verse, that God's word is going to prove true and it will be helpful inside of somebody's life. Unless you're trying to speak from the book of second opinions because that's never good. Okay, so let's look at it. So he says that it has been testified somewhere and we're gonna see where that's from. We see this quotation. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little, um, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So this passage actually comes from Psalm chapter 8. It's an absolutely beautiful psalm that shows the creation plan that God had from the very beginning for humanity. To gain the fullness of this context, we need to look at the entire psalm. So if you will, leave your finger inside of Hebrews 2, but flip back with me to um, Psalm chapter 8, because this is an absolute, one of my favorite ones. Yeah, Psalm chapter 8, right there in the middle. As we look at it, we'll start in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, our quotation, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a, um, a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This is an absolutely beautiful psalm because there's something that I really love about it is that in the midst of all this suffering that the, that the Hebrew, that the church in Rome, that the author of Hebrews is writing to, 
I think what he's wanting to do is to give them a great picture of God and maybe a smaller picture of themselves in order to show them the great plan that God has for them. And so that's what I want us to look at inside of this. So start back in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord. This twin noun shows a direct address to God that is one of Yahweh and that the second of saying his name is speaking to his sovereignty. How majestic is your name in all of the earth. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. God, you are so mighty, so majestic, that you can use a seemingly insignificant means to show how powerless your foes are and how powerful you are. Verse 3 is one of my absolute favorites. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, And then he goes into the passage that we have. But I want us to just sit here for a moment because I love the outdoors, okay? I love the outdoors. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I love to play disc golf. I love to do hikes. If if you want to hang out with me, it's more than likely you're going to be outside, okay? And the reason for that is because there is so much to see about the greatness and the majesty and the grandeur of God in the outdoors, It's beautiful. If you've seen it, you know it. It's the reason why I love to go deer hunting, because in in the morning, I love to get out there before the sun has come up, before the world and everything has awakened, and I love to just walk in the dark through the woods. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? But I love to do it. I love to do it. It doesn't scare me at all, because I know that the God who is the one that is in control of every single thing that is on the earth, and it's a beautiful thing, And I love it. And I love to be able to sit in the sand and then to see the sun come up and then to hear the birds and to see everything that God has created as all of it awakens. And you just see these beautiful sunrises. And if you're there in the afternoon, you see these beautiful sunsets that look like they were just painted inside of the sky. And it's absolutely wonderful. But even more than that, I always think about our camping trip. So we do a yearly camping trip with our youth. Um, And every year, uh, we always go up to Fort Mountain, and we always go and we look at the overpass, all right? And, um, and I say that we do that every year. The first year, we didn't um, because I chose the wrong hiking trail. And so we were all just lucky to survive that trip, okay? And so, but every year after that, we have done the shortest hike to make sure that we're going to get to that overpass because it's absolutely beautiful. And so I've got a picture up on the screen of our group there. And so it's, it's a beautiful, it's just this, this awesome, just little pavilion where you can go out and you can look over it. And that's our group, and I love our group, and I love this trip every single year. But the even more beautiful thing, besides all of their beautiful faces, is what's behind it, okay? So then the next picture is this. Is that not beautiful? Like, just, just, just be still for a moment and just think about if you were there. And just everything that you're seeing, that you can see all of Chatsworth, you can see most of Dalton. You can see all, a lot of the surrounding areas. You can see the mountains that are in the distance. But what I love is that you get a glimpse of just seeing a picture of what God sees every day. And you see the cars that are driving from here to there. You see the houses that represent so many different households. You see places of business where you can see that so many things are going on. And just for a moment, you can just think about how God is in control and he is involved in every single one of those people's lives as they're driving to go where they're going as you see all these different homes and the families that are involved inside of all of it, you can see everything. And just for this moment, it's just amazing to be able to just see that. Absolutely just glorious. But here's the even better thing, is that when you look at this psalm, what does he say? When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, 
I love being in the city of Dalton where I was raised, and it's been a wonderful thing to be able to come back here. But if I'm completely honest, I miss South Georgia sometimes a lot. Because when I was down there in college, there were so many friends that I had that were all, um, that they had, their dads were farmers. And so we would just go out in these farming fields out in the middle of the night, and then you would just be able to see views like this. Let's go to the next one. Is it there? Here we go. Dramatic effect. Oh, here we go. But like, just think about this for a second, guys. This was all planned, by the way. But like, just think about this for a second. That as you, like, you've all been at this moment before where you've taken some time to just be out in the middle of the darkness and you look up and you just see millions of stars. And you just see that it's absolutely amazing. And it makes us feel extremely small. And it helps us to see how great our God is, that his glory is set among the heavens. Because think about um, Psalm chapter 8 and this part that we're reading. I forgot to think about a light up here as I was going to read it. <laughs> but think about verse 3. It says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place. The guys, he has placed every single one of those stars that you see there. Our God is massive. And it's a picture of us to help us feel a little bit small, I think. But what we see inside of Psalm 8 is that what does he say then after that? As we see how great and how big God is, and we understand in the midst of the stars and as we're looking at all of creation how small we are, think about how much of a comfort verse 4 is. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Is that not crazy? Because even in the midst of these questions, it's saying, God, you do care. You are mindful, but why? Because you're so big and we're so small. Why do you care for us? And I think that he is saying this inside of Hebrews 2 because he wants us to see that even in the midst of God being great and us being small, that he has a plan for them and he has a plan for us, right? Because look at it. Yet you have made him, talking about man here, a little lower than the heavenly beings. And we see that. And is their obsession with the angels that we've seen in the first chapter? We can see that he has made us in the creation order a little bit lower than the angels right now. And the fact that we're not the same as them and as we have a different purpose here on earth, that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. But yet you have crowned him with glory and with honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Like, is it cool? Y'all see it? It's amazing. But now let's look at this, because Psalm 8 has also been used as a commentary for Genesis 1. And where we see that this is exactly what God was wanting to do. So with me again, you can place your finger in here, or you could just turn to Genesis 1, but let's look at Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and, every, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And then just continue to look at this, verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that, live, or, that moves on the earth. And behold, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given um, every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But do y'all see how we can see the parallels of Genesis 1 and Psalm 8? That he has made us a little bit lower than the angels, but yet we have been created in his image that we are the the crown of the creation. That as you see that that is what it ultimately all culminates to on the sixth day. And that as you can see in Psalm 8, as you can see in Genesis 1, that in his original design and the plan of creation, God has us having dominion over everything, right? Because as we are created in his image, we are also, we are the bearers of his image inside of this world. And so that's what he used us for is we were created in his image is that we were to display his glory, his righteousness, everything that is good about him here on the earth as we were his representatives. We were like a mirror that displays the glory and reflects the glory of God inside of that. Okay, but now let's look at Hebrews 2 again, because there's something that we need to see, something that probably wouldn't have made sense. Looking at Hebrews 2. Oh, there's my phone. Watch out. That's why I get the temper glass. Here's what we see. Look at the next verse after, or the next part of verse 8. Because this doesn't, in some ways it just doesn't make sense. It says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Okay? All right, so let's again just think about who is he writing to, Right? Think about this verse again. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of their, his control or their control or mankind's control. And think about the reality of what this church is going through. Did they see everything in subjection to them? No. They don't see it at all. If you think about the Hebrew church, they would have probably thought that this was a strange line, that it may seem like he's a little bit out of touch because they are under persecution. He's writing to a group of Jewish believers in Rome who see nothing that is in subjection to them, but rather they see everything, including their lives, subject to everything that is around them. They are subject to persecution from Rome, specifically Nero, who's one of the greatest, um, if not the greatest opposition to the gospel in the first century. They are subject to persecution from the Jews, who they previously would have called brothers and sisters. They would have had great community with. They would have even have worshiped with. But now they were subject to them and the object of their persecution because they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to. And so this seems extremely weird. But also think about the world that we live in. Do we see all things still subject to us? Subjected to us? No, we don't see that. And it's this weird picture of what is this trying to make sense of? We see all this. We may not see persecution around us, but we're still subject to so many things that are around us. We are subject to the weather. As you see this huge snowstorm that's going across our country right now, there's tons of people that are in the path of that are subject to the weather. It's affecting the Northeast, as well as so many other weather tragedies that we see that we are subjected to. We are subject to the animals um, that we were supposed to be subjected over. 
And the fact that we see even the relationship that isn't always good, and the fact that we see also um, the killing of people through animals. We are subjected to other humans, both good and evil. We are subjected to sickness, illness, and disease. We see this as a result of the fall where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Where God had this plan for creation, why is it the now present that we see? And it was because at the time of creation, you are in Genesis 1, when all these things are right in the way that God had created it. But what do we see in Genesis 3? We see that the fall happens, and we see that actually the opposite of that occurs. So looking at this, I just want us to, I'll read it for us right here. In Genesis 3, uh, 16 and on. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain. You will bring forth children. Your desire will be, shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of the ground or for out of it, you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We see this flip once sin enters the picture. It's the fact that all these things that were supposed to be subject to us, that in so many ways we are now subjected to that. But if this picture couldn't get even a little bit darker, that's just the world that we see outside of ourselves. Think about the things that we see even inside of us. It's the fact that we're also subjected to our sin. That as you look at Ephesians 2, listen to how this language is. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, um, the spirit that is now at work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were subjected to our own sin. We didn't have this choice. We were, we were carrying out the desires of our bodies. Because even if that picture doesn't seem like it's any darker, then we have to start thinking about this sin is who is that subjected to? Is that we're even subjected to death. That is Romans 3.23 says, so all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you take it even another step is what is that subjected to? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. All these common verses that we know, but if you see all this, we see this objection that we are all falling to. But even in the midst of all of that, this picture seems to get even darker in the fact that if we have sinned, and we have sinned against the holy God that created all these things, that created all of us, we are subject to the wrath of God, which is far worse than anything else that I've just mentioned. And so guys, I just want us to just think for a second of just how dark this picture feels, Okay, because I want us to feel even, we feel it in just the reading of this, but even feel it in the fact that you could be feeling this reality, but also have this persecution that's going on all around you. And if you were somebody that was inside of Rome that the writer of Hebrews is going to, you would just have to be thinking, God, what is going on? And why are you trying to encourage me with this? Why are you telling me about how everything used to be good and that all things are subjected under our feet? Because God, we don't see it. We don't see it at all. In fact, we feel absolutely subjected to everything else. God, where are you at in the midst of all of this? And if that's where the writer of Hebrews in this moment leaves us, he is out of touch at best, right? But let's look at it. Look at Hebrews 2. Because this is beautiful. And this is where all the darkness gets turned on its head. 
Because he doesn't leave it there. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. And then he says this, I understand. At the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And guys, this next line, I pray that you will underline and think about this. Verse nine, but we see him. Underline that, please. Because that's where all of the darkness, even in the darkest of nights, that's where this light is getting ready to shine through extremely bright. Is that even in the midst where we don't see this at all? Because guys, think about the present for a second. Think about the present. And think about maybe what's going on presently inside of your own lives. It's the fact that in so many ways, guys, when we get caught up in the present and we understand um, maybe the guilt that's inside of our lives, we see the persecution that's going on inside of our lives, even if you just have like a busy week, it's hard to get yourself out of the present, right? Because you're fighting just to survive in the present. Y'all feel me on that? Am I alone? We feel that, right? And so what he is doing is he says, guys, you don't see it right now because you're in the middle of this. At the present, you don't see this. But let's change our gaze. Let's change where our eyes are looking because you do not see this at the present, but you see him who is the promise for us, who is getting ready to undo everything that I just talked about. Okay, because here's the thing. None of this caught God by surprise. The original plan for creation did not fail. But it's the fact that now we have the ultimate plan that is revealed in Christ and what he has for us. Because now let's look at it. That this was the foundation, that this was the plan from the foundation of the world. And who do we see? Who is the him that we see? Who we see is the foundation of our salvation, namely Jesus Christ. How is he this? Let's just continue to read, okay? Continue to look at this. But we see him who for a little while um, was, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Y'all, this is awesome. This is where it just gets good, where we just start seeing Jesus just punch death uh, just right in the face, okay? Because guys, just look at this. Because for a moment, he was made lower than the angels, okay? It makes us feel good that we were made just a little bit lower than the angels, right? Because it makes us feel like there's kind of this exalted level because they were so fascinated with angels, okay? Now look at this. He also says that he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, And there's something really cool here because this is the first time in Hebrews that we see the author of Hebrews use the name of Jesus, okay? And it's this really cool picture because where we feel like we were exalted in being made just lower than the angels, we see Jesus' humiliation and the fact that he left the heavenly places and his incarnation, the thing that we absolutely needed most in being made lower than the angels, And it says, namely Jesus. Why? Because up to this point, he's used the name Son. And at this point, he uses the name Jesus because he wants the the people to see this was a person. The name of Jesus that Gabriel gave him at his birth that means the Lord is salvation. Is that not awesome? Is that cool? Are we kind of getting this picture here? This is absolutely amazing. That for a while, he was made a little bit lower than the angels because this was going to bring out our salvation. Namely, Jesus and that he did not stay lower than the angels, but now he is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Okay? This is also really awesome. That he is now crowned with glory and honor, not because he was the son of God that just came down and because he was crowned with this glory and he came in a chariot and overthrew Rome. But why? Because of his suffering of death, he is now crowned with glory. Let's look at it. 
The author mentions that he has been crowned with glory and honor because he has filled, fulfilled the messianic task of suffering and death, where the first Adam that we looked at inside of the creation did not carry out the duties of image-bearing. The second Adam did so perfectly. Philippians 2, 8 through 10 gives us a good picture of this. And being found in human form, him being made lesser than the angels, namely Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, he is now crowned with glory. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Amen? Absolutely, amen. Because this is absolutely beautiful that through his suffering and death, he is now who was made now lower than the angels. And if you think about the, the people of Hebrews that were thinking about this, they probably thought, oh, well, if he's made lesser than the angels, he must be lesser than the angels. But what the writer's telling us is that he was made lesser so that way he would be exalted even above that to the point where his name is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven. They will also be subjected to him. They are lesser than him. He is greater than the angels. So that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. We deserve to taste death. There was no other way. We were subjected to it. Like, think about just the reality of, of what we were talking about earlier, that, that we are subjected to our sin, that we are subjected to God's wrath. Like, that is every single one of us. That is all of humankind outside of the promise of Christ. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Like, that is the absolute reality. But what we see here is that he did all of this, that he was made lower than the angels for a time, namely Jesus, crowned with the glory and honor because of suffering and death, that he would do so on our behalf, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Just think about what that sentence says. So that because you were good enough, because God liked you than everybody else, he did this? No, because guys, we were all subjected to our sin. We all had no hope. But so that by the grace of God, nothing that we could have ever done to deserve it, but everything that he has done, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We deserve to taste death. There was no other way. We were subjected to it. Yet by the grace of God, that means that he gave us something that we do not deserve. We were given the greatest gift, the sacrificial son of God who came to earth, was born of the virgin. He lived a life that we could have never have lived, um, and he died the death that we all deserved. He was raised from the grave um, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and seating on our behalf. He, was, he has made those who repent and believe in him the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Looking at this, the first Adam plunged humanity into sin and death. The last Adam, who is Christ, was also plunged into death for the sake of humanity. The, la the work of the last Adam undoes the work of the first Adam. As we see the creation order at the beginning and we see God's ultimate plan, that Jesus is this second Adam that is the perfect image of the Son of God, that is the perfect bearance of the image of God, the perfect obedience to God, and the perfect sacrifice for us. As the one who fulfills the task originally given to Adam, Jesus represents the ideal man who bears God's image rightly and exercises dominion over the cosmos. He has inherited the place of dominion spoken of in Psalm 8. He is superior to all things, including the angels. Is that not cool? Like Jesus did that for us. Every single one of us, that guys, every single one of us were subjected to this sin, that every single one of us have no hope apart from what is just written in here of the fact that he came and he bore our flesh. 
that he came and he became the perfect substitute on our behalf. Romans 5.17 says this, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through, uh, through, the man, through the one, that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That if death came through Adam, how much more will life come through Jesus? Because he has satisfied all of the Old Testament requirements for everything to be atoned for. We have been redeemed by Christ who is greater than the angels, and he has exalted us above the angels as well to rule and to reign in the world to come. Look at Ephesians 2, the second part of it. I love whenever the Bible says, but, like in this one, but we see him. If you look at Ephesians 2 and it talks about how much um, that we were dead in our trespasses, that we were slaves to our sin, get to verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, he tasted death for all of us and raised us up to be and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. We could have never have done it. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works. You could have never have done it so that no one may boast, but we may boast all the more in what Jesus has done for us. And so as I'm, I'm kind of getting ready to close, I'll have the band come on back up here. What has Christ done for us? He has become our propitiation, our perfect sacrifice that we see um, in Romans 3, 23 through 26, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is how, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over, over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he um, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. It means that for him to be our propitiation means that in that Christ and his perfect life and atoning substitutionary death, that he satisfied the wrath of God against our sin and against us. It wasn't simply that he simply satisfied or assuaged God's wrath against sin, but that he made it right of, for God's wrath against us. And it's absolutely beautiful that he has overcome death and the grave, that he tasted death. And it's not just like, at Thanksgiving, honey, I need you to come and take a taste of this so I can see if it's good. But that he took on all of it, guys. It wasn't just a part of it, but that he took on all of it. And even when he tasted death and he took on the cross and he took on the full wrath of God that was supposed to be for every single one of us, that he took on all of the wrath that was deserved for all of us, he took it, in and, took it. and in the midst of that, he overcame it that we don't worship a savior that's still dead in the grave, but that we worship one that is alive. Because it overcome death in the grave. He has transferred us from darkness to light of those that, that went from having no hope to those that have complete hope. God has exalted him above the angels and even though there was a time where he was below them. And so guys, what do we do with this? Is that we respond, um, I wanted to give you guys something. We were at a conference this week and I found this track that was just absolutely beautiful. It says that there's two ways to live. And in it, it just tells what we've seen in this, the gospel story, that one, God, the good ruler and the creator, and it talks about God and creation and the way that he created us. 
We see, too, our rebellion against God and the fact that we, that we said that we wanted to be God instead of following after the Father that had given us everything. Number three, we see God's justice and the fact that, that sin can't go without being punished. And that leaves us in a pretty terrible place without any hope. Four, that God sent Jesus to die for us. And that Jesus, the risen ruler and savior, as we see that he was victorious over all things. And it says that at the end of this, that there's two ways to live. And I just wanted to read this to you guys. It says the first way to live is to continue in our rebellion against God, ignoring him and running our own lives our own way. Sadly, this, this is the choice that many people continue to make. The end result of living this way is the inevitable and rightful judgment of God. We not only have to put up um, with the damaging consequences of rejecting God here and now, but we face the dreadful prospect of an eternity of separation from Him. But there is another way that Jesus bought with His blood. If we turn to God and we ask for forgiveness, trusting in Jesus as a resurrected ruler and Savior, then everything changes. For a start, God wipes the slate clean. He accepts Jesus' death as payment for our sinful rebellion and freely and completely forgives us. He pours out his own spirit into our hearts and gives us new life that stretches past death and into eternity. We are no longer rebels, but we are part of God's own family. We now live with God's son, Jesus, as our ruler. This track is in the back because God's like, this is just the beautiful message of just what God has done for us through Christ. And so this is the story we need to tell because outside of these walls, we see a world that is so many people that are still subjected to God to sin inside of their own lives and the consequences of that. But we see so many people that are still subjected to the wrath of God because they don't know the way that we've been forgiven. And so these are in the back. Also for your kids, I would love for this to be a way that's easy and simple for us to be able to communicate the, the beautiful truth of Jesus Christ with our children because they need it too. And it's never too early to start doing that. All this is great, but when we see the Hebrew church, they still live in a very present reality of persecution. And there's something about this passage that's a little bit tough, even when we see all the beautiful things that Christ has done for us. Because we still live in a very fallen world that we are not subject to sin anymore, but we still live in the presence of sin and the effects of it. How does this encourage you? And how does this encourage the church in Rome? Because we live in the already and not yet part of the kingdom. That through Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, that he has established his kingdom, that he has put all things under his feet, that when you read Psalms 8 again, you'll see it as all a beautiful truth of who Jesus is, that everything has been put under his feet. But yet we don't see that completely yet, but that we will one day. At the present, in this present world, what do we do when we bear afflictions? What do we do? We have to trust in the promise. And this is beautiful. Because here's what I want us to see just real quick. And the reason why I had y'all flipping all over the place. You go to Genesis 1 and you see God's plan for creation, right? Genesis 3, we see the fall, right? There was something that I left out intentionally whenever we see the curse. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. At the very beginning, before God even brought out the curses, he said, there's going to be a way of deliverance. That through the seed of Mary, through the, or through the descendants of Eve, that there's going to be one that is going to come and take care of sin and death for all of eternity. Is it, now, this is cool. 
So we trust in the promise because this promise, as we're about to see, is from beginning to end. Genesis 3.15, we see all of this. You will see him. He is going to come through the seed. In the Gospels and in Hebrews, what do we see? We see him. The one that from the time that sin entered into the world, the countdown for Christ started because none of this caught him off guard. It was all part of his plan from the very beginning. Then when we get to the Gospels, we see the culmination of all the prophecies. We see the culmination of all of God's plan. And in Hebrews, he's telling them, you see him. Continue to look at him. But what do we do now in the middle of all these, all these times where we have all this stuff going on inside of our lives is that we have to continue to see him and then know that we will see him again. In Matthew 26, um, 64, when he was talking to Caiaphas in the council, he says that they were asking him, are you the son of God? He says, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the cloud of heaven, saying that the next time you see me, I will be coming back. And it won't be as a suffering servant. It's going to be as a conquering king that is getting ready to come back and make everything right inside of the world. In Revelation 19, he tells us that he is coming to make all things new and that he's going to wipe away every tear. The last chapter. This beautiful. Whew, 22. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, and with it the twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree um, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Look at this. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And, there will be, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Look at this. From Genesis 1 and his creation to the fall, to the redemption, to the end of the chapter of Revelation, this has been God's plan for Jesus to come and to rescue and to redeem a people unto himself. And so, guys, if you're in the middle of this, you're not insignificant. Church in Rome, you're not insignificant because God created you for a purpose. And as, as we've been redeemed, you still have that purpose from the very beginning. But that you, you see even more of the care that God has for you and the fact that he sent his son to take on our flesh, to live a life that we could have never lived, to die the death that we all deserve, to be raised from the dead and to ultimately show victorious. And in him, guys, if this plan cannot fail, if you are in Christ, you cannot fail. Church of Rome, you're not gonna fail. Keep on pursuing him. Keep on enduring because he gives you the power because now you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if he's going to bring all this to fruition, then there's nothing else that's going to ever be able to stop you. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so guys, I just hope that that encourages us this morning. That whatever we're going through, that God has a plan inside of all of it. In the midst of our suffering, inside of our pain, inside of the things that we go on inside of our lives and the persecution that we may face one day for Christ if we're not facing it presently, he has a plan. He has conquered all of it. So you don't need to worry. Keep your eyes on him. The truth is that Jesus is Lord, the founder of our salvation. The world will pass away, but the word of the Lord and the truth that is in it will never pass away. And so let's celebrate this truth. Let's, let's stand and let's sing to the Lord as we see that he is the king of kings and that he is the Lord of lords and that through him we have all things that we need for this life and the life to come.